the Bring Your Lunch Pail Sports Podcast. <gasps> Presented by Luke's Pizzas. So don't do that for A. Thank you for the advice. Featuring Lucas Clark and Nigel Romaine. Tell me more about these lizard overlords. Now introducing your host, Tanner Retz. Welcome to episode 14 of the Bring Your Lunch Pail podcast. I'm sure you can tell by now that I am not Tanner, and this is Luke with my co-talking head, Nigel. What's up, everybody? Uh, First things first, just wanted to do a little housekeeping because we didn't do a good job necessarily on the last episode of prefacing Tanner's absence. He is currently down in Florida training to become a pilot for Spirit airlines and professional gator wrestler actually yeah that one in the same i think it'll be a useful skill to have when he's uh arguing with people that are upset by their spirit airline experience uh, <laughs> yeah i don't know that there's much of a difference yeah i, I think that uh, it's the same caliber of person it's they're all lizard people on those planes i believe so that makes sense yeah so the plan moving forward is to still have tanner involved obviously but there's going to be some logistical challenges a uh time difference it makes it tough uh if you've ever listened to us complain in the past about our uh recording schedule is that sometimes we don't start until you know 10 or 11 at night that's pretty late on the uh on the east coast especially when he's got work the next day yeah, and and his uh, studying is behind off to make sure that he's getting uh, getting things done over there. So yeah. I'm sure there's a lot of uh, intensive studying nights to learn how to properly overcharge somebody for a check bag and, <laughs> and reroute a flight a flight to L.A. Yeah. How do you how do you get uh, three layovers on a flight from Seattle to L.A.? I'm sure there's a lot of number crunching going on in his training, but. Uh, we wish him the best, and uh, we'll we'll still have him on here. It just might be a little more sporadic moving forward, at least for the next few months. At least for the next few months, it, it's not permanent. But uh, we wish Tanner the best, and hopefully, hopefully by the next recording he'll be on here. But if not, definitely in the near future. Honestly, this is his fault. He just he's the one who decided to take a new job in the middle or at the beginning of football season, starting when things were really heating up. So he can only blame himself for this. So um, sorry, sorry for all of all of you fans out there, but you're gonna have to listen to mostly Luke and I for the next couple of uh, weeks here. I do not envy you guys. But we appreciate you sticking it out with us. Uh, we're already, like I said, this is episode 14, so we're already... Un- unhinged his back, baby. <laughs> yeah. Now we got that housekeeping out of the way, I wanted to take a second and we'll kind of go back to the last episode we had uh, left off. We had a big volleyball tournament that was coming up that weekend. I know all of our faithful listeners have been wondering how did we do this year, and so... I'll let Nigel give the quick recap of how that volleyball tournament day went. Well, um, it started out very early. Uh, I th- I believe we uh, prefaced this that we had a wedding uh, the day before for our buddy Vince and Adrian. Congratulations, you two. Uh, I was there. Uh, yeah, I was there. I was there, Reverend, according to uh, one of Adrian's family members. Uh, Reverend Reverend Nigel uh, got the two got the two hitched. Reverend Poppy, <laughs> yeah, Reverend Poppy made sure that the two got hitched. We signed the paperwork, unlike uh, 
uh, some other friends' weddings the, that we've done where I think they forged my signature. This one was official. Uh, Adrian and Vinny are, are married. So, um, yeah, so anyway, the, the night before, big wedding celebration, great time. Uh, but what that meant was that we weren't uh, getting into bed very early that night. Some of us were uh, having a little too much fun. Uh, so it's, it made for an early Guilty. yeah, it made for an early volleyball morning the next day when we had to be there at about 8.15 to get started and set up and going. Morning session, uh, just I guess kind of give you a quick rundown. You kind of do some round robin uh, based off your seating from your from your uh, weeknight than how you did throughout the course of the season. Um, so round, do some round robin games. We won uh, five or four out of five, four I believe five. was the number. Uh, we lost our last one to some some BS again. Every year it seems like we run into a team that just wants to be like rule sticklers and they don't actually know the rules correctly. Um, they tried to call. They tried to call one of our uh, one of our gals, Sarah, on a double set, and we're kind of going by strict beach rules, which isn't actually how we play in this league. Um, I'll spare you the boring contents. Uh, when people call us out on that crap, we don't usually take too kindly to it, and uh, kind of flusters the team a little bit. Didn't necessarily play our best after that. Um, well, and they also and then they also called us on a second BS call. Well, I want to interject well. on the, yeah. the set part just because uh, people who know me personally know that I am a very level-headed person, especially when competing in sports. <laughs> but uh, this old asshole, yeah, calls calls a foul on, on one of our girls for a set, and it, we don't play in some professional type league you know this is pretty there's there's good competition especially yeah. i mean we kind of talked about this before our night was lacking competition this year but i'd still say like you know this isn't just friends putting it up in the backyard type yeah of, yeah type of, like not. the skill level is pretty decent but it's like you know the rules aren't that strict not yeah. not for like a set like this and the guy like calls calls this <laughs> foul on us and i'm like no like no that's not a foul that's fine and he was mad because then we like spiked it right on him and scored an easy point. And he's like, no. And he basically just <laughs> gives me the like hand, like I'm not talking to you. And he points at Nigel, which uh, this hasn't been expressed before. Nigel is the A plus setter of volleyball. And Nigel was, was serving currently. So he's like in the back row, like kind of chasing down the ball or whatever. And he's like, basically this guy's like, no, I'm not talking to you, puke. Like, I want to hear. It I want to hear. Yeah, I want to hear it. Yeah. and he's he like, he's like, he's a real setter. He knows what's going on. So now I'm triggered, and I was like, no, I said it's fucking fine, so it's fine. And then Nigel has like no idea what's going on. And yeah, I was. Uh, yeah, say I. Yeah, exactly. I had just seen the spike, and I thought we had a point, so I didn't hear any of the the commentary. I was like already turned around, walking back to walking back to the service line, and then I turned around to this guy, like saying he know like. He's a, a real setter. He knows how to set clearly, and and I, and then I'm just like, what are we, what are we talking about here? And, and then I think Nigel's like, uh, no, it looked fine to me. And then he's like, yeah, no, replay the point after he made a whole point <laughs> yeah. about how Nigel needed to answer, yeah, and that he would believe Nigel. And then Nigel's like, yeah, it looked fine. That, that's our point. And he's like, nah, replay the point, I'm like fraud. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> so fucking, yeah, fucking so then fraud. yeah, so then I I serve it over. Uh, I serve it over on the next point, and they also have an if you want to go letter of the law, 
rules a poor set. And so Luke immediately calls them on a double yeah. to, uh, oh, yeah. to to counterbalance this. As soon as it was the guy who called us out for a set, he goes to set. It was a fine enough set. But by letter of the law, yeah. it had like three rotations on it. It's only like one and a half rotations. And I was just like, that's a bad set. If you're going to call Tiki Tech shit, then that's a bad set. Otherwise, don't fucking bitch about it. Yeah. And that didn't stop him from bitching, honestly, because then <laughs> no. he called us on another point later. But Yeah. And then... Regardless, yeah, we, the, we lost the one. It yeah, the, other one the other one I thought was more BS, realistically, too, because they it, it was a ball that they were like... They were hitting over onto our side, and it was their second hit, and they had a, a hitter that could have, you know, made their made their third hit, but he doesn't even attempt for the ball because it's just a wayward shot. And Matt jumps up in the air and and just spikes it straight down on them, and they try to claim that the ball never crossed the plane of the net, which is absolute BS. <laughs> and and uh, we end up we end up losing that game by a point or two. Didn't really matter. We didn't take first in that in our pool in the morning but we still moved on to like the upper pool um basically they cut it, it down to the top 12 from the yeah it's 36 teams after the first five games they cut it down to the top 12 and split them into two more groups yeah of six where you play each team once so five games yeah and then the top two from each of those basically the final four yeah then go to a loser out bracket exactly and so the uh so the second round robin portion that we we would have need to finish in the top two. Just wasn't, just wasn't to be this year. We, we, uh, we won three of the five. The two that we lost were close games. I think we lost by a point or two or three in each like four game. Four and one and two. Yeah. The so they were, they were close games. Teams that we, if we're on, if we had our best game, I think we, we beat them. You know, seven out of ten times probably, maybe six out of ten times, something somewhere in there. But it wasn't our best games, and uh, not able to not able to make it into the finals and uh, have the chance at, at that uh, at that chip, which was quite disappointing. Yeah. But uh, now now another nine months. Yeah, exactly. Until we get a, a chance to start the outdoor league up again, and then and then hopefully advance yeah. further and win. But yeah, so that was uh, not what we had hoped for. It also didn't help that our. Uh, our guy Max, one of our players, had broken his wrist the week before, so we uh, we didn't have him, which I think would have been very helpful <laughs> for, for our team. Yeah, not only from but, a size standpoint, as I mentioned before, but yeah, it's a long just day. Volleyball, volleyball IQ, just fatigue, yeah. Well, oh yeah, and fatigue. fatigue of it, yeah. Like we're out in the sun for yeah, a long time. It was nice eighty. A, yeah, it was a mid to upper eighties all day long. There was a dog barking in my backswing. <laughs> There was a slight breeze coming in from the west. There was a lot of things going against us that day. But overall, fun day, yeah. as it always is. Um, we uh, had a good time. We we hung out with our our quote-unquote rival team afterwards, too, which was a lot of fun. Got, got some drinks at the Lamplighter. Yeah, yeah, got some drinks. We There's one team that plays on the same night as us every year that um, we have a pretty good relationship with, but we never actually have hung out with them outside of volleyball days, so... Uh, it was good to good to kind of get to know those folks a little bit more. Shout out, shout out, Ref, uh, aka Island Poppy. <laughs> also not yeah who's islands, yeah who's from cambodia. cambodia we we found out we thought he was a, yeah. a poly guy yeah but he's uh he's actually he's actually from cambodia so always just uh, try to get canceled by, <laughs> yeah. by, by labeling people but yeah exactly uh, whatever 
yeah. So, uh, so yeah, that was that's the kind of the volleyball tournament in a nutshell. Didn't quite end up how we wanted, but uh, we're already back in it. We got our indoor league started last last Thursday, so you know we're uh, hashtag Warriors, even though all of us were sore and extremely sore and beat up from uh, from the long weekend. We we got back out there on Thursday and uh, started our indoor league, which I'm sure we'll uh, fill you in on from time to time as we go along here. Yeah. So all right, moving on from volleyball. Let's uh, let's we're gonna we're gonna talk about Husky football kicking off. That's gonna be the meat and potatoes really of this episode. Uh, I know Nigel and I have been dying to get to Husky real really get into Husky football talk. I know we've had a little bit, but uh, we're gonna work backwards from Labor Day weekend because uh, Nigel had a pretty pretty busy weekend. Uh, so on Sunday, Nigel went out to the Ellensburg Rodeo, I believe. Yeehaw! And uh, I wasn't there, but Nigel had some stories that he wanted to share from uh, rodeo life. So I'll let him take it over. Why don't you go ahead and set the scene? Yeah. So Ellensburg Rodeo uh, got invited last minute on Saturday after the Huskies game was not necessarily in the mood for it, but decided to, you know, be a be a champion go out there and uh have my best best day at the rodeo um but a couple of things to of note um got went out to Suncadia to meet up with some friends really nice new house uh that they've got there pretty cool but that's not what we're talking about here we're talking about this uh the rodeo stuff we got there late because this is a bunch of girls that were going and they were all drunk from the night before um, so we got there probably with an hour, hour and a half left of the rodeo. So missed most of the first half. But what I did see, a uh, couple things that were pretty, pretty shocking and awesome. Number one, got to see some bull riding, which is, uh, super exhilarating. <laughs> Those, some massive animals bucking people around. That, that was pretty, pretty wild to see in person. I, I've never actually seen, uh, seen that in person. Um, also with that, got to see what you would think is inevitable with any, uh, person riding a bull, uh, someone getting bucked off the bull and then said bull spinning back around and stomping this dude in the head. Uh, that was pretty crazy. Uh, Yeah, exactly. That's why you pay the big bucks to go to the Ellensburg rodeo, man. Uh, the dude got up and, uh, he was definitely concussed. Uh, we'll just put it that way. He looked like, looked like Tua out there (laughs) after After he got <laughs> stomped by the bull, uh, so that was Do pretty. <laughs> yeah, that was pretty crazy. But uh, the one that I I haven't told Luke about this yet, so this will be a a new one to him too. Um, so mind you, I, I noted that I'm I was there with six other girls. Most of these girls are kind of posh uh, New York Manhattan girls, or at least a, a good portion of them. I'm gonna preface this uh, a little bit by saying. Uh, I don't care what you think about the rodeo. There's definitely some animal abuse things that go on, but the rodeo is a good time. One hundred percent. Yeah, one hundred percent. I'm with I'm with you on that. Um, with anyone on that, but despite that, the rodeo is still going to exist, and uh, so I'm gonna go there and watch this crazy crazy stuff. So, the second event is called wild cow milking. <laughs> Nigel goes moo. <laughs> Yeah, it, that was that was exactly it too. I, I was out there going moo. So I'm I was pretty, you know, I've I've never heard of this before. I've been to a rodeo at least before and uh, never heard of this one. But basically, what it, what it happens is that they send a a cow out there, and there's 
a guy, a cowboy on a horse, and a and a cowboy that's like kind of on the sidelines, and they go and they lasso this this cow around the neck, and then try to stop it, and it's full full size cattle, and it's like bucking and going crazy, and then once the once this cow is lassoed, then homeboy that's on the side runs over and like kind of puts the cow in a headlock, and then the guy on the horse has to jump off milk the cow and put it into a test tube and then run across the entire arena and uh like get to the judges table in under a minute that's some crazy hillbilly shit (laughs) yeah it is the most crazy hillbilly shit you'll ever see instantly when i heard the rules of this i knew this was going to be interesting and uh (laughs) and it proved it proved to be very interesting uh most of the time uh to the benefit of uh, the crowd, I, the cows won this this battle too, which was hilarious. Where these guys are trying to milk the cow, and then they're they're getting literally pulled across the entire arena by by this cow, which was very funny. But just the whole the whole like competition itself was just one of the most wild hillbilly crazy things I've ever seen, and I could not get enough of it. I enjoy, I enjoyed the hell out of it. So, um, yeah, that was my that was my my crazy. Uh, my crazy story. I've got got some other uh, some other fun ones, but I, I think I'll save those for another time. Unless you think I should go into that, Luke. <clears throat> no, I think I've. When yeah, you I got think the, to milking cows. Yeah, I think the. Yeah, I think the. Them, I, I think I've heard enough about the rodeo. Yeah, the rodeo was uh, was something else. Highly recommend going and seeing it once in your life. It's ridiculous. All right, enough enough farting around with with rodeo and volleyball talk. It's time to get into the real the real point here is that we had hyped it up last week leading into Huskies season opener. We get there Saturday, what, camp camp set at nine AM? Wasn't our best showing. We still had some preseason <laughs> rust. Forgot forgot the battery, drove two minutes down the road, had to turn around, but you know, I said we we we're still in preseason form, yeah. but got it got it dialed in. Overall but, it was uh it was. I thought it was a pretty good showing for uh, for week one for the tailgate. Legion of Doom sandwiches. Yep, did the Legion of Dooms. So uh, pulled pork with a fried egg on top, some cream cheese. It was fire. Oh, I did hash browns too. Yep. With uh, I was very happy about the yeah, hash got browns. It, got the hash browns. Uh, I think our our neighbors uh, next to us were. Uh, were they had jealous. the notepad out. Yeah, they were they were coming over every every single thing that I was cooking and and uh, taking notes and figuring out what we were doing over there. So we had, yeah, we had the TV rocking. We got yeah. the, you know they were reheating frozen <laughs> breakfast burritos. And yeah, like, what are you guys? And doing? I'm I'm out there rendering down uh, solidified pork fat over the <laughs> <laughs> over the hash browns. Yeah, and they, uh, <laughs> they got taken for a loop on that one. I think they were yeah. they were confused. Yeah, there was. Uh, so that's why that's why I say I think we were I think we we're in uh, in mid season form there on some of the on some of the aspects of the tailgate. It was a short tailgate, twelve thirty kickoff. We got there at nine, basically tailgate for two and a half ish hours, then start to pack up and then pack in some beers real quick before <laughs> before the the long five five minute walk journey to the, yeah. the stadium. Yeah, and got to. Uh, Got to see some friends. A couple of friends came out. Uh, my cousin came out, which was pretty cool. He's a he's a Bama grad. Um, 
but uh, is now back home in the, the PNW and wants to, wants to watch a good football team. So he's a season ticket holder now. So should yeah, be seeing he, him around a bit. He was, he was quick to remind me about how I shaped his life. Uh, I, I remember this. It was uh, validating that he remembered it so fondly as uh, we're having some beers at the tailgate. He's like, I got to tell you, Luke, there's just this one line you said that always – that always lives with me. And it was, I think right when we had moved into our college party house, uh, it was probably right after our first party, right? Like, yeah, I think it was right after our first party that the next morning, just, <laughs> we, we have mind you like this first party, just to paint the picture a little bit for you guys. We, uh, we probably had like one couch in, in the house at this point. Cause most of us hadn't, hadn't actually moved any of our stuff in yet because we knew we were going to have this big party. <laughs> And so we wanted to leave our stuff out of the house, throw the party, then move the rest of the stuff in for after that. Um, But my family, uh, mom and grandma and my cousin, wanted to come see the new house as a first place living on living on my own, like most of the families kind of do. And so this next morning, we're all yeah. They decided to show up bright and early the day (laughs) after our first party in the house, which I mean. They're all cool, so they yeah. know what's going yeah, on. Yeah, they knew but. they knew what the deal was, and I I t- told them a little bit that you know we're you know we're gonna have a party the night before, but uh, they should they show up you know I, it must have been eleven o'clock something like that, and uh, might as well have been six a.m. <laughs> yeah, might as well have been six a.m. for us, and uh, Luke and a couple of the other guys in the house worked at Little Caesars at the time, uh, if I remember correctly. Oh, you and remember so, correctly. So we had like probably 20 plus pizza boxes from the night before because we brought a bunch of pizzas uh for the party that night so there's like one couch like bodies still uh, sprawled around the house from the night before and like 20 pizza boxes stacked up empty, with, beer, yeah, with, cans yeah, empty beer cans like we've done some of the cleanup work already at that point but like there's still like things are still in shambles overall and uh my my uh mom and grandma and cousin who was probably about 14 at the time freshman in high school show up and then uh i'll let luke take the the rest of the story here yeah so i mean as jack brought up is that i think i'm just sitting sitting on the couch just completely hung over you know i think I think it was BB already had his like Tupac poster up on the wall, you know, vintage college decor in a house that had very little decor at this point. <laughs> yeah. I uh, was sitting there and I think uh, Jack and all of them are taking it in and just very hungover. Like I just look at Jack and I'm like, Jack, if you work hard and you do well in school, this could be you one day. <laughs> And Jack thought it was the coolest thing he had ever seen or heard. I'm like, yeah. yeah. When, when I get out of high school, I want to be just like Luke with a thousand Little Caesar pizza boxes <laughs> strewn about the house, working at yeah. a pizza place, going to school, throwing yeah. parties. And, the best and he part, still remembers it to this yeah. day. And I knew he remembered most of that story, but the part that I thought was funny that I didn't, I hadn't heard before was that he, he mentioned that he – when he was buying stuff for his like dorm or whatever in oh, college, yeah. that he found that exact same Tupac poster, like Tupac and Snoop Dogg poster, and bought that immediately because he's like, that is like what I picture. That's quintessential college, college yeah. decor. Yeah, exactly. I like, have quint- to have yeah, it. I have to have it. And so he had he bought the same exact poster and had that in his college situation. So I thought that was that was pretty funny and awesome.
All right, enough about enough about the tailgate and all of that stuff. Now it's time to get into the actual game. So, 12:30 kickoff. We ke- we've kind of talked about our thoughts heading into the game. Do you remember what your score prediction was? Um, I think I said 35 I also uh, I actually thought my 48-10 prediction was not bad. Yeah. Right? Looking forward is that basically each team scored 9 or 10 points more, right? 9 yeah. more points for Boise and 10 more for the Huskies. So, yeah. like, pretty close on the spread guess of the game. But uh, I actually put my money where my mouth is, and I put 50 bones on the Huskies to cover the spread. And I took the under, which did not come through. <laughs> that did not come through. Huskies almost covered... The spread by themselves. Yeah. Uh, covered the over-under, you mean. Or, yeah, or yeah sorry. Yeah. Uh, covered the over-under by themselves. Uh, so that was a little bit of a bummer, but um, I kind of told you off-air that uh, we'll get into a little college football, broadly speaking, is that you know they changed the clock rules this year, that the clock doesn't stop now yeah. uh, on, first down, uh, on first downs other than the final two minutes of each half. And I know Vegas has this stuff dialed, so it's not like I think that they're naive, but I was kind of hoping that, like, maybe there's a little bit of a learning <laughs> yeah, period maybe, that maybe they got to figure out. a couple out. of points there. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. You catch a couple points, like yours and Tanner's predictions of it being way closer, I think, uh, negatively influenced me. I was like, yeah, maybe it will be, because I was pretty confident the Huskies were going to come out and stomp them, which wasn't quite the case to start the game. No. It, was a, it was a little cagey earlier, early in the game, kind of like you said. Yeah, it definitely started out a bit slow. The uh, the dogs just couldn't really establish much offensively, and luckily defense came to came to play for the most part at the beginning of the game. But a lot of a uh, lot of early. It looked like it looked to me like the Huskies were trying to establish the run game without Cam Davis, and trying to find some kind of short, you know, short uh, yardage uh, footing, you know, like there were a lot of screen passes, a lot of runs up the middle, um, and none of it was really working. <laughs> Boise was kind of pressing everything. Those screen passes were getting stopped for negative yards. The runs were getting stopped for very few. And, uh, and yeah, beginning of the game looked a little looked a little dicey there. I think it definitely plays off of what, <clears throat> our big concern was heading into the season that with Cam Davis hurt, that who is going who is going to be the running back and more specifically, who is going to be that running back that can get short yardage, run th- run between the tackles yeah. and really establish some sort of running presence early. And I feel like the Huskies, I like to think that they knew that they could take the top off the defense whenever they wanted and really air it out. But it seemed like they came out with a directive that, like, we want to prove to ourselves that we have the guys here that can run and play kind of this more short yardage game, you know, run. Like you said, they also threw some screen passes. None of it worked. It looked really bad to start, which is concerning. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Which is really concerning, you know, and it it really felt like, though, it was a concentrated effort on the Huskies' behalf that it's like, we can come out and just start taking deep shots to start the game. We don't want to do that. Yeah. Like we know that that will work. We want to come out and try to show them a different look. Yeah, we're to just, set it up. We're gonna try to be. I mean, I I think that 
I think that uh, much of the reason why I, I thought Boise was going to keep it a little closer is that Boise, perennially good defense, head coach is a defensive guy, finished like top of the top of the Mountain West last year in defensive, you know, efficiency in, in all the categories, whatever. So thought that they were going to be good at defense, and I think the Huskies were challenging themselves a little bit to like, hey, let's go try to, let's go try to like run it down their throat and like kind of, you know run our short game stuff that that uh that we think is gonna work and yeah definitely didn't <laughs> at all um and yeah boys boise looked like they were you know physical enough to do it but they also weren't running any of their like kind of passing combo route short <laughs> short yardage stuff either which i think is super effective for them the second they started running that we instantly started moving the ball after after that it was like as soon as it wasn't screen passes and dives up the middle it was like everything opened up and it looked like the normal husky offense after that yeah pedix missed a few throws early yeah that as, too as they, they, they kind of they threw yeah they threw a shot down the field in that first quarter i think like after the maybe that was the second drive maybe maybe third drive somewhere in there where he threw a deep shot and then i think you said you you said it yourself at, at the game. You were like, "Now he's gonna he's gonna overcorrect that and th- and throw it underneath." Yeah, well, and then well, for, well first, so uh, yeah, they finally you know they kind of go like three and out or whatever. Maybe they get a first down, but like kind of fizzle out early. But they're still just kind of playing this. And I said this, I said this to our buddy Zal. I hope you're listening, Zal. Is that uh, I was like, it seems like the Huskies are kind of playing a cat and mouse game right now, like. They're not really just like taking the restrictor plate off yeah. and like really hammered it downfield. And it feels intentional. Like yeah. they're trying to play this like short yardage game and like hammer some of this stuff out. And I literally said to Zal right in that moment, I was like, yeah. I wouldn't be shocked. I think at this point it's seven to nine, something yeah. like that. And I was like, I wouldn't be shocked if now that you're down and it's the second quarter, if they just start going balls to the wall next play he overthrows it to mcmillan which on a what should have been a 40 yard touchdown yeah and then 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 the next play jeremy bernard who we're going to talk a lot about here i think in a minute is uh he also gets open downfield and then he underthrows him and he almost makes a really great catch but the db comes in and makes a makes a late play and and knocks it out and so Couple missed throws by Penix, but basically after, after those that, two throws, yeah. yeah, they're like, "Oh, we on. can just throw it downfield whenever we want." Penix just has to hit the guy, and he basically didn't really miss too many shots after that. Yeah. And it looked exactly how I think we all imagine this offense to look. Roma Dunze, uncoverable. Yep. Like he he didn't really get loose on any like streaks or anything like way over the top like McMillan did and uh and uh Jalen Polk. I mean Polk. I keep switching yeah, keep that. Calling, yeah. I keep calling him I keep calling him uh Colp, which is a different player. <laughs> That's our tight end. Yeah. And who's definitely not not making catches. And should be our governor. <laughs> yeah. <exactly. laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> Damn. Uh, Politics here. But uh also something that we kinda we we just kinda brushed over this, but I 
because Jeremy Bernard's name has been mentioned, that was also I thought that the Huskies were just going to start off completely electric because we received on the opening kickoff. Oh, that's right. And yeah. Jeremy Bernard, who you heard us talk about him already before on on previous pods, this guy who transferred from Michigan State. He had originally was committed to the Huskies, went to Michigan State. After we BF'd them last year, he uh, decided he wanted to come back back home to uh, UW. And uh, so opening kickoff, he yeah. took it took it to the 50-yard line, maybe a little past well, that. I think he was a little short of the 50. Maybe a little like short, but close. Yeah, close to the – we'll call it midfield. midfield. Yeah. Great, great kick return. Husky Stadium's rocking. I thought, like – for sure, we're gonna go. We're I thought gonna first play, we're shot gonna, play. Yeah, exactly. We're gonna go shot play immediately and just like go score a fifty yard touchdown on the first play of the game, and then we run like a dive up the middle for zero yards, a screen pass for zero yards, and go three and out and punt. And it was like, wow, that is not <laughs> like not what I was expecting at all. But anyway, yeah. moving moving say, back yeah, forward. I say more on Jeremy Bernard is that I'll just go ahead and pat ourselves on the back because I think. Uh, Anybody who listened to our spring spring game recap is that it was clear at the spring game that Jeremy Bernard is not going to be some guy that's buried on a talented depth chart at wide receiver. Like no, you, you already know, you already know that Adunze, McMillan, and Polk like are seemingly locked in to those top three spots. But we're going to air the ball out, and there's room for a fourth receiver. And Jeremy Bernard instantly made his case. They're yeah. like. That dude, he looks like he looks like the next Roma Dunze. He does. That like he just knows how to get open. He's good with the ball in his hand. He knows he's pretty stout too for a younger guy that like he can shed a tackle. Yeah. And he looked awesome. And yeah. so I think most I think most teams across the country would kill for a guy like Jeremy Bernard to be their number one receiver, and he's our number four. Yeah. So like I think it's gonna be I think it's gonna be a good year for the wide receiver room. Which, uh, yeah, which is not a hot take. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Call the fire department on that one. Uh, <laughs> hot take. Uh, back to Rome, though, because you were kind of touching on him. Not only does he look uncoverable, but I think on any given play, he looks like he's untackleable almost now, too. Like, he got tackled every time. He didn't break anything. But the guy is going to he's going to shed some dudes this year and and make a big play out of something that you thought was you thought was completely taken care of and then he's going to like throw two guys to the ground and run for 80 yards for a touchdown because he just looks he looks physical this year like yeah. more so than he's I've seen it. in previous years. You might have forgot this though is that he might have to temper that a little bit cuz remember he well, yeah, he, he tried to he tried yeah. to do that once and he had four guys on him and he ended up getting the ball stripped from him and then the luckiest bounce so, ever. Yeah, it, somehow it, it bounced, bounced right back, back to hands. him, and he scooped it up and let him know that he recovered the fumble. But <laughs> yeah, it's a DK. DK kind of has that same problem at times for the Seahawks. Yeah. That it's like you're so talented with the ball in your hands, and you want to make the most out of every play. But you got to know that, like, when you're tough to tackle, guys see that and like he's not going to go down. You get a second or third guy on him, punch the ball out. Yeah, because he's not going to go down that easily. If you're the second or third guy on a on a tackle, try to get a hand in there because he's going to try to stay up. Yeah. And he already got burned on it once, kind of. I mean, he ended up recovering the fumble. But I agree that yeah. he showed he, it in that game is that, like, he is not an easy tackle when he has yeah. the ball in his hands downfield. And, and maybe that's not necessarily going to be in the form of him throwing two guys to the ground. But I, I think he's going to be a hard guy to tackle if he's in open space. 
and has has room to run and because he he looks physical out there like more so than more so than previous years he's always kind of run physical but like he looks he looks like he is a tough guy to take down right now yeah so i think i said we could we could talk about the wide receiver room forever and what Penix did i mean honestly i think we can just put a bow on on the passing attack because i feel like there's other pressing parts of this game i mean Penix had his five touchdowns. I was kind of telling you the other day when we were watching the replays that I do think that if you want to pump Penix for Heisman, like they probably could have let him try to get another one in there at the same yeah. time. The problem the problem was that uh, McMillan stole, stole one of those touchdowns from him. Huskies ran a wildcat in the third quarter with Jalen McMillan, and he took it to the house for 19 yards untouched. Yeah. Actually, he kind of broke one. He kind of jumped one over a tackle, miss. made a guy miss. And made a really good play out of it for his third touchdown of the day, um, so yeah. that that one I, I think you you always expect to score on every play, but you probably put it at a lower likelihood that he's going to score, yeah. and that Penix you is going to have. You another, think he'll move the chains, and then you'll yeah. have first first, first down, down, maybe first and goal or yeah. first and ten from the, the 12 15 or, 15, or twelve, yeah, yeah exactly. and and be in that prime spot. Yeah. Uh, and then by the time Dylan Morris got on the field, there's only like four minutes left and you're up, you know, 49 to 19, you're up 30 points. So yeah. no need for panics to come out. But like I said, I, I still think there's something to be said that if you want, if you want to juice up his Heisman, you know, maybe you let him come back out for that last drive and get a touchdown, but not the point. I, th- I do yeah. think I want to unpack kind of the running back room a little bit more and, yeah. and what, what we think this will look like. Next week, we're not going to touch on next week's game much. We're not going to be there. Again, people, I won't name names, having uh, football season weddings. Sacrilegious. Yeah. Just horrible. So we won't be at the game, but it's against Tulsa. I haven't even seen what the spread is. It's probably 30 yeah, I plus. Think it's close to 30 points. Uh, yeah. I'd be surprised if the Huskies did anything that is even noteworthy, like that I'd be worried about, you know, like yeah. they'll come out, they'll score early, they'll score often. Um, maybe we'll have a different tone to the uh podcast if if upon watching the replay they struggled in some areas but if there is an area that they're going to struggle in it it would probably be the run game i'm sure that they're going to try to come out and establish the run early in this game too against tulsa and build some confidence i would imagine so so after one you know it was only one game and there wasn't that many reps but who who are we feeling like is looking like a guy was there anybody in your opinion that kind of came out and feels like they might start to get more looks in the running back room? Honestly, kind of hard to tell. I mean, Nixon had a couple of uh, a couple of good runs in there, but the holes on those runs were so big, I think I could have gotten close to the same amount of yards. And we were, we were watching the, uh, the replay, and on one of those big runs, I think he could have probably had 40 more yards. He cut more. the wrong way. He cut the wrong way. Cut back into the, back into the defender. Yeah, the he linebacker. Had blo- yeah, he like had block- yeah, he had blocking. He had a blocker set up, and instead of a blocker set up in front of him, and he instead went towards the towards the tackler and didn't give his blocker a chance to touch him. It, so, I mean, he had a couple nice runs, but the the best looking running back was uh, Jalen McMillan, <laughs> and that's not going to be Which your is running a problem. Back. Yeah, that's not going to be your running back. Um, 
And he also was the second best quarterback, Jalen McMillan. Uh, tell that to Demo. <laughs> I guess pretty, that's true. Demo looked pretty nice. sharp on that. Demo, Demo looked pretty good on that drive. You're right. So yeah, I, I don't I don't know that anyone established themselves. A lot. There was a lot of. I mean, there's guys that that uh, got opportunities. That's for sure. But I didn't really see anyone that caught my eye um, in particular. I don't, I don't know about you. Yeah. I, so I do think, broadly speaking, is that I think the the run game was pretty lackluster in this game. But I also think that like last year, you really saw the strength of the run game come through as they really established their passing attack. Yeah. And you kind of saw that in this game, too, is it like we kind of came out like very run centric in early down situations. And uh, I'm kind of hijacking a point that you had made before that it seemed like Boise came out early in their defense came out early in that game with kind of the intention that like, it's going to be really tough for us to stop their downfield passing. So we need to try to eliminate everything that we can control. And that's the running game. And that's the screen pass game. If we can be like fire on everything underneath and maybe we can get some early outs, maybe get a turnover or something. Yeah. And like, you find change, a spark and, and change it, but it's like if they want to line them up wide and throw it downfield, like we're gonna be at a mismatch. So we need to be perfect in every other aspect. Yeah, and they were kind of to start that like yeah. it seemed like they were really selling out, and all it took was for the Huskies to get back to what they do best, which is stretching the ball downfield, not throwing screen passes and checkdowns, like finding the levels to the defense. Yeah, and letting your receivers make plays. So I do think that moving forward, the running game will naturally be better because teams, most teams, I think, will have to say we can't let them throw the ball downfield. If yeah, they get a five yard, the if they game. get a five yeah. yard run, that's the best outcome. We yeah. can't let them get deep shots down the sideline to Polk. We can't let Adunze run free over the middle, right? Yeah. And so I think it'll open up. But I do tend to agree. Is it like? Will Nixon had a couple good runs, but he also had one run that was okay on paper, but it was really hard to watch when we watched the replay too, that it's like yeah, blockers set up and is blowing a guy up. Linebacker is basically behind him to the left. And he like tries to juke left right into the linebacker and gets tackled instead of just like taking it out to the right and running it to the sideline. And he's probably gone for a touchdown. Yeah. Um, Wayne Tulapapa takes that house last year. Yep, he just runs straight through the hole and doesn't look back and doesn't try to make a move at the second level. He just runs until somebody makes him. Yeah, and that's do something. We if we had this podcast last year, you probably would have heard us uh, preseason talking a lot of crap about Wayne Tulapapa as a as a running back prospect and being the starter and how confusing that that seemed at the time. but we kind of talked about this the other night off off air as well. It's like the guy was a captain of the team or the team he left and this team that he came to, the Huskies, and had a really good season and because he knew how to run north and south and was able to break those runs when, when those opportunities came up when the offense was clicking downfield. And so I I'm uh, I'm curious to see who's gonna who's gonna kinda take the take the reins in that room because I think after uh, after Saturday, the competition is still wide open, and yeah. I, I would guess, like you said, that those Nick that Nixon run, Will Nixon's run, like that may have looked good to the average eye when you watched it, but I'm sure when you watch the when they're 
in the coach's room watching the tape on that, that's a negative play for Yeah, him. what do you see at all 22? <laughs> yeah. You see 30 yards of <laughs> yeah. daylight here to the right, and all you have to do is run right where the play is designed to go, and you got 30-plus yards. Yeah. And instead, you tried to make a jump cut in the hole, and instead you just cut back into the defender. But hopefully some of that gets worked out, much to your point, is that I do think you miss somebody like T- Talapapa that, like, you need that veteran guy that's like, hey, just like play within yourself. Do yeah. Do do what the it, offense do is what designed the offense, to do. This yeah. and this is what yeah yeah. And I and I think that Cam Davis last year kind of went through that process. That's and that's why the Huskies you kind of talked about they were able to develop into that run game a little bit through the season. And I think a big part of that was that Cam Davis kind of figured that out from Tola Papa's leadership and like seeing the successes of of how that worked like. I'm gonna run. I'm running with the goal of getting four yards. I'm gonna run hard and straight into the hole and like go for it. And sometimes in this kind of offense, things open up and you got to take advantage. And I think Cam Davis started to figure that out last year in the back half of the season in particular. And that's when the Huskies' running game started to look really good. So there's still time for these guys yeah. to to figure it out. So Dylan and, Johnson looked good catching some passes. He had he had one nice catch where he basically yeah. just runs a out route gets the ball nobody's within a mile of them so like as we kind of said on the last episode i'm not worried about this running back room's ability to catch passes out of the backfield it's really finding that guy that knows how to hit the hole yeah now having said that though is that you got three new interior offensive linemen there's going to be some growing pains and all of and all the running backs are young too even like most of the transfers are well are, Dylan Johnson's got experience but not with the Huskies. Yeah. But he's yeah, he's still a younger guy overall though. Right? Like he's yeah. he's still a sophomore, redshirt sophomore. Like he played two years at okay, I, think, so, I think we ran the stats yeah, last yeah. I think he played two years at Mississippi State with actual with yeah, actual, actual touches. PT. But you know, it's a different system and like yeah. I said it's kind of a overlooked aspect is that guys guys are used to running certain ways and they want to break people down and throw out juke moves and stiff arms. And it's like, really, I think at, at this run offense's core, the hole should be wide open for you and you just need to run. There'll be times when you need to break guys down in the backfield because blocking fails. But when it's executing, like you yeah. really just need to hit the hole and run. Yeah. And I think, I think there's enough talented guys that they'll figure it out. I think Tulsa will be a good, a good opponent to, you know, Kind of workshop that in a little bit. Workshop some things. You should be in a position where you're up early, where guy you can give more carries to guys that start to figure out who's really separating themselves. I was disappointed that uh, Dick Newton he really only got one or two carries. I think in the game they didn't yeah. really give him a chance. Yeah, I'm I'm uh, a little disappointed by that too. I think that I still think he has a good shot at getting some carries this season especially in short yardage situations just because we know he's good at it um, when you're up by when you're up by 20 something points it's not the time to to get dick Newton more touches. Yeah, an injury prone yeah guy. an injury prone guy doesn't need to catch a catch an injury there yeah and so I, uh, I you know I think he's still gonna have his have his touches on this team but really like the young guys need to get get those reps right now in game. Because we know what Dick Newton brings, and so the other guys got to show what they can bring to the table as well. 
Yeah. But overall, it was a good showing by the offense. It was a little bit of a slow burn to start. But it seemed like once they got that first touchdown on the board, that it was just kind of the floodgates yeah, everything opened up. Opened up after that. Uh, defensive side of the ball, switching gears a little bit, is that uh, I thought thought the Huskies had a really nice showing. Like, it kind of gets lost in the sauce, but, like, this Boise State team is a good team. Yeah. You know? You said it yourself the other day is that, I mean, their quarterback, he's a, he's a raw product, and he, he missed some throws and had some drops by wide receivers, but... Yeah, he didn't get six, helped much by his wide six, receivers. 6'6", six, 225, like, he's got some tools there. Yeah, honestly, I don't know why they didn't run him more. He, that was going to be my next he, question. Yeah, he... When he was moving, it seemed like he was uh, could be dangerous, <laughs> and so I don't. I they got him out moving a couple of times, and a couple of times we stopped him too, and got you know got in the way of it. But it seemed like w- he had size and speed that is is pretty special. And yeah, I really it seemed thought like that they, they would utilize or like kind of build in some more some more plays for him. And they didn't even have like any designed runs for him. I thought yeah. for sure they'd come out and basically. Much like, I mean, McMillan ran in a touchdown on a Wildcat. Yeah. But, like, basically run a Wildcat set that it's like, this is a QB keeper. Yeah. Like, yeah, the guys. You, you could run a fly, you can yeah. run a fly motion off of it just to move some guys and, like, change levels or whatever. But, like, at the end of the day, it's like, no, this is just QB, like, Cam Newton QB plunge. Like, yeah. We're going to put the ball in our best athlete's hands and see if we can get a hat on a hat. Yeah. Get a chance at one on one with one of our linebackers. Cause, Honestly, there's a lot of good plays to be had by the defense, but I honestly was underwhelmed by the linebacker play at times. Will Foscio yeah. missed. Good to see him back, and I think he'll be better for it. But, I mean, he missed a few tackles, including that big touchdown. Was that a run or a screen pass? It was pass? a screen. It was a screen it, pass. Yeah, our defense was very ineffective against the screen all day. Yeah. Uh, Boise State's defense, fantastic against the screen on us all day. Uh, vice versa, Husky defense versus screen was horrible. I think that was, I think that was uh, multiple big plays that were given up that were, um, they were all screen passes that that went for. I think they had three or four screen passes that went for forty plus yards in that game, including a big touchdown. So, yeah, and that was that, just, that was really just yeah, poor tackling. Was just, yeah, poor tackling and poor reads from the linebackers, like not not getting there in time on the touchdown run. Eddie O, Eddie O got. Uh, like point blocked almost, you know, like it, he had it, he had the guy in space and he just like gives him a little hezzy and just like ended him. Yeah. Which was not was, what you wanted to that see. That was from bad. Him. I'm sure he'll get roasted in the, uh, <laughs> yeah, in the no. film room for that one. Cause he's got to be better than that. Yeah. That but. was, that was not his best, but they had, a, they had a couple of those, those screens that went for, for big hits and <laughs> until late in the game when finally we got some redemption on the screen from Carson Bruner. Who, that was sweet. Who uh, I don't even I wouldn't even say that he read it well um, necessarily. He was in the right. It seemed like he was kind of right place, right time. But he does that a lot. He throughout his career where he's he's in the right place at the right time and gets gets picked. So um, yeah, yeah, I'm surprised. I'm surprised he's still like no disrespect to Ulafosio. I know he's yeah. a great athlete, but and even uh, Alfonso Tupatala that it's like. I've seen I've seen good play from both of those guys, and I yeah. get it. But yeah, Carson Bruner. Yeah, who's had more big plays? Carson Bruner. Yeah, he's just one of those guys that it's like when he's in the game, big plays happen. Yeah, he runs free for a sack, or he scoops up a fumble, or he makes a pick off of a screen pass. And now, granted, you know yeah. you got 
I think that was the second second string quarterback yeah. for Boise that threw it to him. So, you know, you take it with a grain of salt, but at the same time, it's like he's just kind of one of those guys that yeah, he, finds, he finds, finds ways to, way make to make big plays. plays. Yeah. And so that being said though, Eddie O did have a sack in the game, mm-hmm. which was which was you know, big time play. I think it was the next play though, is when he got burned on that. Because <laughs> if like, I remember play, watching yeah. the replay, yeah, it was like great and play, like, and then like yeah, oh, great yeah. play. Finally, a yeah. fucking sack in the game. Oh, look who it is! It's Eddie O. And then the next play is that screen pass to the running back. Yeah, where he where he, gets where he from, jukes yeah. him out of his shoes. Is like, oh, yeah. all right, you instantly wiped away that really positive play you had by making a horrendous play. Yeah. Yeah, I think you're actually correct. It was either the next play or two plays later, maybe. But it was in that same series, I believe. Real real bright spot of the defense, though, I think, was the secondary. Yeah, secondary. They, looked... got, they got helped out a little bit early. There were some drop passes or kind of a combo of slightly errant throws with some drop mixed in, like not really hitting them. But, I mean, shoot, Devon Banks. What did he have, four Four, four pass, pass breakups? breakups. Yeah. He should have had a pick. One of those pass breakups, he did drop a pick on where he had oh, really yeah, good, right. had had yeah, really good coverage. Pocket. Yeah, yeah. And so, I'd say is that considering it was a real weak point of the defense last year, was yeah, their secondary like... at times, and some of that was injury related. Some of it was young guys having growing pains. Well, it seems like you invested pretty well in that because Devon Banks was one of those guys that yeah. kind of got trial by fire last year. And he looked awesome in that game. Yeah, he had a he had a great game. And yeah, it, I think it's it goes back to and it, it, you really saw it happen last year too. That um, you had that first game against UCLA last year where it was kind of trial by fire a little bit with some of those young guys and Jake Bobo, our fucking guy, just yeah. roasting. We'll the, get into Jake Bobo. Yeah, more roasting later. the entire Husky secondary in that game, uh, but. Now those guys got the PT. Like all of a sudden, those young guys that looked young last year look like look like they're you know seasoned seasoned vets now and uh, are going and getting a couple pass yeah. breakups. J- and, Javion Green, yeah. he got called for a PI, which one of our <laughs> one of our neighbors disagreed with us when we we're like that's a bullshit call, which I thought was kind of funny because there's. <laughs> There's always there's yeah. always somebody in the stands, but yeah, uh, who was who later I heard talking about or like kind of garping with someone else behind us in the stands it was like he was like, "Do you even play football?" And he's like, or "He this guy that called us out said that to the other guy," and the guy was like, "Yeah, back in like middle school." And he's like, "Well, I did play in high school at whatever whatever high school." This guy, BS. I was like, this, "Okay, this yeah. guy, this guy's sixty year old." <laughs> 60 yeah. years old sitting shirtless by himself in the stands which to be fair it was really hot yeah, that it was day. Hot. yeah but yeah, yeah that, that was funny but i thought Javion green had a really nice defensive play on that one they called him on a pi on it i don't buy it he turns yeah. his head at the last second and slaps the ball down like i don't know pretty yeah. good coverage from where i was sitting but we're a little high up but yeah well but also those, are the, those are the guys those are the guys that you know, kind of got thrown into the mix last year, and they look a lot better for it. Adding in Jabbar Muhammad to the transfer from Oklahoma State, he looked really, really good. That yeah. Now did. quickly, it seems like this DB room. It's only one game, and I'm sure they'll they'll take their lumps later. But like they looked, they looked yeah, really they looked, good. They looked, they looked really looked athletic. Yeah. I'd expect. I don't think Devon Banks is going to drop too many picks when he has a 
good opportunity on it. Like he's yeah. he's a instinctual athletic player that is still a raw product, but like looks like he's matured a lot already. So that was encouraging to see. Asa Turner, like he's another guy that I think he gets a lot of hate from certain sections of Husky fans, but he kind of falls in that Carson Bruner territory is that he didn't really have any – he had one good tackle uh, behind the line one, of scrimmage, yeah, I think, on, like, on a on screen the, pass like where he flew jet, up. I think it was like a jet sweep that they passed it to yeah. the guy, and he just goes up and – But he's the guy that's the, always kind of right player, right time. Like he gets interceptions or fumble recoveries just because they're not the sexiest plays on the field, but it's like he makes them. Yeah. He finds a way that the quarterback just throws it right at him. Yeah. You know, or – the ball bounces his way and he scoops up a fumble. And so you also had your guy, Cameron Fapikulanen. <laughs> oh, nice. <laughs> yeah. Uh, with the interception, Luke's yeah. favorite DB in the, in he's, the room. He's absolute about. trash, but he had a really nice pick in that yeah. game and then got hurt later, which is unfortunate for him because, you know, probably He did part- come back for a few plays, I think. Oh, did he? I think he came back in okay. later for a play or two. And then at that point, it was kind of out of, out of reach. But, uh, I'm sure we'll we'll mention him again, uh, Cameron Fapikulon, and uh, throughout the season because probably our number one favorite person to trash on because he's he's just one of those guys that he's been in the program now a couple years and I he's gonna be he's gonna get playing time and there's always that hateable guy that you feel like shouldn't be getting PT over young dudes and that's definitely Cam Cam Fabiculon and uh, yeah I mean uh, but he's he's he has you know he has that potential he's veteran leader um, I mean he made a good case by getting a pick because I'd yeah. say for the most part is that he's always been one of those guys that is just kind of <laughs> in the over- wrong yeah in the wrong place at yeah. the wrong time he's he's underwhelming yeah in his abilities most of the time but you know he is a little more of a steady eddie player but he doesn't really he doesn't really have any flash plays like he's not right player at the right time that's getting picks or stuff like that and he tends to give up more big plays than he makes big plays and so it was good for him to at least get a nice interception i'm I'm hoping that he'll kind of be in the same vein as uh alex cook was for uh for the huskies last year that it's like I think that's the goal. Loved, you know, if, again, if we had a, this pod going last year, you would have heard us talk a lot of shit about Alex Cook over the last few years. But la, but come Oregon game, game on the line, they clearly kept, were trusting in Alex Cook to know the play and go tackle Bo Nix and, and, you know, stop, you know, stop it on fourth down and win the game basically for the Huskies. And, because it's it's your veteran leader and he did what he was supposed to. I think Cam Fabiculon is kind of in that same he's kinda he's same kind of boat the, that it's like he's he, kind of the teacher's pet type of player. Exactly. That like, yeah. That it's like he's not really that splashy, but I'm sure in practice and in the game, sometimes you don't really see it in the game unless you probably yeah. really watch the film that it's like he was doing the he's doing the right, right job. He's doing his job. He's doing the right thing. And somebody else missed the play, and that's why it's yeah. an issue. And maybe it looks like it's him making the mistake in that yeah, he's moment. He's trying to fill the gap for someone else that that messed up, and then he's in a bad position. And that's why he's a steady that. Eddie type player, yeah. but he's maddening at times to watch because <laughs> it's just he's not polished or athletic enough yeah. to really make an impact, and he gets so many chances. Yeah. But overall, I'd say that DB room all of a sudden looks pretty pretty good we didn't even talk about dom hampton still waiting for him to really pop off he had a couple okay plays 
But again, he's kind of one of those guys that I feel like if you're not talking about him, that means he's doing his job. Yeah. Because he, I feel like they put him in positions where they think the action's going to go. And so if it doesn't go that way, he's kind of done his job in a sense because yeah. he's eliminated part of the field because they don't want to go his way. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And I feel like that was a big thing last year too. When, when the defense started to started to really play well and the DBs went from looking young and poor to, to looking sound. It was like, I don't remember saying Dom Hampton's name once that entire game. And you like, and and then you, yeah, exactly. And you rewatch and it's like, because they went away from him every single play. Yeah. The entire, they didn't, tar- they didn't yeah. target him a single yeah. time, you know, yeah, exactly. or, or they targeted him once and he gave up one catch. Yeah. One catch know? for six yards or something like that. Yeah. Where it's like they threw an underneath route to his side and yeah. And so I feel like that's, that's kind of the Dom Hampton experience. It seems like it's almost like the Richard Sherman situation from years ago where it's like, Richard Sherman's name got called one time for, for when someone threw six yards underneath on him and got the tackle. But it's when you're like actually watching the tape, it's like, yeah, they just didn't throw at him the entire. They didn't even look his way. They didn't. They didn't I also they knew they knew it wasn't worth it. I also is that you know we watched the replay, but you know it's not like we're watching all twenty two tape. But he does have a little bit of a different role this year because he was the husky, which is basically the nickel. corner slash linebacker spot which mish powell is playing that now dom hampton is more playing safety he said i don't watch the all 22 tape or anything like that or know what the game plan is but i would imagine going into the game a guy like dom hampton might have a lot more responsibility that it's like when you see Taylor green run that's you yeah you need to come up and make a tackle and and he didn't really run at all yeah. So maybe if Taylor Green actually ran the ball and had a lot more keepers, you would have seen Dom Hampton at least. Maybe yeah. he makes the play, maybe he misses, but he'd have a better read on what his impact in the game was. But I, I do feel like there was a lot of times where he's kind of playing that deep QB spy, and yeah. they never ran. Yeah. And so he, he didn't really have those opportunities to make the types of plays that you would hope that he would, because he should be built for that. Yeah. You got a big running quarterback like Dom Hampton's a 6'2", 6'3", 220-pound safety. Like, QB yeah. goes running, like, that's, that's, your, that's your cue to go make yeah. a play. And for, for whatever reason, Boise didn't do that. I'm, I'm miffed yeah, by that. Yeah, I still don't understand that one. Maybe it's because the Huskies did such a good job of, of containing him, but I doubt that. Um, might as well talk about the D-line a little bit real quick, which I would say was overall underwhelming. But I think part of that was they were just, decent in run support. Yeah, decent, decent in run support. I, I, underwhelming, and I'd say a good way because it didn't seem like there was, you know, a whole lot going on for for them in the run game necessarily. Not a lot screen, of pass a lot rush, of it was though. screen game. Yeah, not a lot of pass rush. But uh, I think some of that is just getting the ball out quickly throughout that game. They they did a Boise did a good job of of uh getting the ball out of their hands and a lot of their a lot of their points were off of like big screen plays which you can't really necessarily blame the d-line for for that i feel like that's especially wide receiver screens that yeah. like it's instantly outside the numbers yeah so it still says it like you'd like to see you'd like to see ztf get more pressure i'd say that's what i say is it ztf like covid year and honestly 
I mean, I heard Braylon Trice say that he wants 20 sacks this year. Not a good start for him if that's his goal. <laughs> but uh, I, no disrespect to them because I like their game and I still think that they're going to rack up sacks, especially against teams that are more pass-centric. But I'm just thinking back to like ZTF's COVID year or you think about uh, uh, Hauli mm-hmm. back in the day, a guy who actually did get 20 sacks in a year, that it's like, you didn't see a single snap. Like, there's still space that if you're a great pass rusher, even if they're getting the ball out fast and throwing screens, yeah, you're you just win. Play. You just win, though. Yeah. Like, you get off the ball completely, completely clean. You just rip swim by the tackle, and you're in the backfield, like, instantly and there's no way you're not getting a sack or the only or you're not getting a sack because the guy gets the ball out and you hit him while he's throwing and it's like a harmless incompletion is that i didn't see a single snap from that game where trice or ztf or anybody else who had an opportunity just beat their man off the ball and got a sack it's one game yeah right but and and also i think i do think that i kind of threw it out there in just the beginning of this but I do think part of that is that much like Boise came into this game knowing um, the one way we stand a chance to win this game is if we stop the run and uh, like hope that Penix doesn't have his best day and they miss on some long balls and we like maybe we get a turnover or two and can like make this game more cagey, which they did a good job of in the beginning. Huskies' uh, defensive plan is probably, if it's me, that's coming up with the game plan since I talked about it the week before. Uh, how do you lose that game? You let the t- the six five two hundred and forty pound quarterback run all over you, yeah. and so and you so, gotta have a QB contained. <laughs> yeah, pass exactly. Rush. So you might have a QB contained pass rush going on a little more in that game. So because that's probably the one thing that'll kill you is if that guy runs for one hundred and fifty yards on you throughout the day and just keeps moving the chains constantly. You you bet on like let's let's make his arm beat us, and it didn't. And yeah. instead of letting his legs beat you. And so I think that before I, before I give up on ZTF and Braylon Trice, cause I think both I'm not of guys, up on yeah, it. no, I know. I'm just, I, I, I'm just saying, I think that there's uh I think that they're going to get their sacks. They didn't look that great, but I, I'm, I am guessing that most of that is, is game plan. Yeah. Trice will pad his stats against Tulsa and get four sacks and he'll, <laughs> yeah, and he'll exactly. be right back yeah. on track. Yeah, right like, back where he wanted to be. Yeah. Yeah. But I think overall, probably, probably call it on the Husky talk, you yeah. know, kind of as, as we do when we don't have Tanner here to moderate, we kind of get unhinged and just go do whatever we want. But overall, I think the Huskies had a, what they should do type performance on offense a little slow. They tried to run the ball. wasn't super effective as soon as they passed it. Money. Yeah. Defense, I actually thought, they said, it shouldn't get lost in, is that Boise's going to be a good team this year. Like, they're going to win yeah. nine, nine or ten games. I don't know exactly who else they play in their non-conference, but I'd, I'd slot them for nine or ten wins this year. Yeah. And at the end of the day, the Huskies on, in all facets of the game kind of dominate them. That's one thing I'll say real quick is that uh, I'll rope it in with the D-line talk real quick is that uh, Maurice Himes, guy that we liked, didn't get to see him a lot on the D-line, but, oh, man, that was play play of the day. Play of the day from uh, 
from a cheering standpoint, in my mind, was when he lit up that dude on kickoff. Yeah. And just, that's how you get more playing time is go is by making special teams plays, and he absolutely decleated that dude. Yeah. Decleated him, thought it was a fumble originally, but the guy was the guy's lifeless corpse had hit the ground before the ball squirted out. Yeah, that was a big that was a big time play. And I I uh look look for this guy, everybody, when you're watching the Huskies. He's going to be out there eventually, number 45, Himes. He, we've talked about him. We talked about him at the spring game. I just don't think there's a way they're going to keep him off the field come late, you know, like later in the year when you're really repping out ones and twos and like getting guys in and out on on uh, passing downs and things like that. Like the guy is going to make plays. just seems inevitable. Yeah, much like we said with Devon Banks and Javion Green is that I think they're going to – they're going to make it a directive this year that you got to find ways to get younger edge rushers on the field because you expect to lose yeah, ZTF lose both of them. and you yeah. expect to lose Trice. So you need to start prepping the the uh, next generation, you know. Yeah. And I think Maurice Himes is definitely the guy that will be a premier contributor for this Husky D line next year. And so, but it's good to see is that like, that's how you get on the field. You go make special teams plays. They'll put you in the game more. And he had outside of Jeremy Bernard's uh, kick return. I'd say he had special teams play. Yeah. Yeah. He had the, uh, the next best special teams play. Yeah. Uh, Real quick. You got a score prediction for Huskies versus Tulsa. Um, We'll go, we'll go uh, 55 to 21 wow all right i'll go 63 13 yeah i'll i'm i'm gonna say they they get a a touchdown or two late in that game once the threes are on the field because <laughs> huskies just blow blow away the the gates on this game and go up by 40 <laughs> by halftime and and uh you have twos and threes playing most of the second half and so they squeak in a couple extra points, still cover the, the spread of 30, I think. with, the, with the, I guess that's not quite covering the spread. If I said 55-21, I think the spread's at 30 right now, or 30 and a half. So uh, either way, that's what I'm going to You think that. Tulsa's going to come close to covering the spread? Yes. Wow. Even after last week with, with Boise? I'm going to say Tulsa covers this week. Hmm. All right, well. I'm obviously on the opposite end. I don't know. I don't know what the spread's going to end at, but the Huskies are covering it. I got Huskies by over forty easily in this one. But yeah, well, we'll we'll check back next week and we can see how our predictions go. I'll take the over on first half points and uh, and Tulsa covering. How about that? All right, we're going to keep this last segment a little shorter. Um, obviously, we went pretty long with the Husky talk and. NFL season's about to kick off this week. We got Chiefs, Chiefs, uh, Lions on Thursday night football. I know everyone's excited for the return of football and fantasy football. Um, no one more excited than Greg Sestero. Uh, a little background on this is that we, uh, you know, I'm, again, I'm going to go ahead and uh, pat myself on the back. You know, it wouldn't be a podcast without grotesque amounts of uh shameless self-promotion but (laughs) but so i came up with this idea it was it was uh 
introduced by a buddy of mine in a different league that I'm in. And I told the commissioner of our fantasy football league, Shane, that he should get a can't pay for a cameo for uh, Greg Sestero, which followers of the show will know is that he is the second main character in one of our favorite movies, The Room. You know, you might go back a couple episodes if you haven't heard and you can get a recap on The Room. <laughs> yeah, but you can listen to a sports podcast and hear a movie review, believe it or not. So more tools in a Swiss army yeah. knife, right? Uh, so I presented this idea to our commissioner, Shane, to get a little hype video or video slash message from uh, Greg Sestero. I wanted uh, Tommy Wiseau to do it, but he is not on Cameo. So we went with the next best thing, and that's Greg Sestero. And he was kind enough to record this video to, or video slash audio to uh, get our fantasy football season off. So I'll just let you listen to it. Oh, hi, guys. Mr. Shane Moore to the Make and Bank and Getting Stank Fantasy Football League. Welcome to the 23-24 season here from Key West, Florida. I want to wish good luck to everyone. And congrats, Tio, on your fluke victory last year. You know, as Mark would say, people are very strange these days. And remember, keep your stupid comments in your pockets. God blessed Commander S. Now, Mr. Tommy Wiseau has got something to say, too. Oh, hi, football season. Yeah, fantasy. Make fantasy reality. Make 23-24 fantastic. Win big money. My God, Tio, you won barely. I'm sorry to tell you. So we see what happened. Remember, football is crazy. Love is blind. Good luck, football. What a story. So there it is, right from Greg Sestero's mouth. What a story. <laughs> what a story. Uh, yeah, he really he really killed it. Um, I think my favorite part of that is that the turnaround time for him to uh, produce that was about 20 minutes. So I think it really speaks to what Greg Sestero's got going on in his life is that he's ready at the <laughs> drop, at the, yeah, <laughs> drop of a hat to... To uh, film a cameo for somebody who's willing to pay the small price of 65 bones to, uh, <laughs> to do it. For, for that blessing you with that 35 seconds of, uh, of beauty. So anyways, per, per Greg's uh, video is that let's turn fantasy into reality. The reality is, is that the football season is knocking at our door. And uh, we'll talk more about the Seahawks uh, in our next podcast. Uh, but I do want to throw it out there is that we got the game coming up. Nige, I just want you to give me one one player that you think will be the MVP. They don't need to be the true MVP. It could be just kind of like the unsung hero or an MVP, whatever whatever you feel is clever. And then give me a score prediction for the game. Uh, Seahawks against Rams. All right. Uh, my MVP... Uh, or person of the game or whatever is going to be. I'm going to go with Zach Charbonnet uh, as my Love as my pick. selection. Um, you you uh, you told me that he's third on the depth chart, but he's number one in my heart. And uh, that's why I saw that DJ Dallas as the second running back. But yeah, I'm not going to buy that personally. I I think depth that, charts uh, are bullshit. Yeah, exactly. I think they're going to limit Ken Walker's touches in general in this game just because he's coming off of an injury and I don't think you're going to need him to have his best game week one against the Rams and 
I think Charbonnet is gonna gonna get the the lion's share of the touches. I'll give him. Uh, let's go two touchdowns and uh, two touchdowns and fifty eight yards in this game, uh, but hard earned yards every every single one of them. And they're gonna use him in the red zone. He'll get two touchdowns. That's my that's my uh, pick to click with that with the Seahawks game. And uh, let, I'll, I'll oh, jump yeah. in and then you can give me your score prediction. Is it? Yeah. Uh, personally, I love that pick. I think we talked about it in the last episode. I got Zach Charbonnet on my uh, fantasy roster, and I really have my fingers crossed because I think I'm going to have to start him this week. So uh, fingers crossed that you'll have a 58-2 two, yeah. touchdown performance because that would go a long way uh, in my mind. But I think that's a great pick, and I, I do tend to agree is that I think week one will be a good week for Zach Charbonnet to get a heavy workload yeah. against this Rams team. I think we're going to come out and run the ball a lot, so I think that's a yeah. I think it's I, a good pick, and I yeah. I think I think DJ Dallas being number two on the depth chart just kind of goes more to show that Ken Walker's actually not really a hundred percent available. They'll probably give him some touches, maybe he gets five five carries something like that. But I think Lion Share is going to go to Charbonnet and DJ Dallas, and I just think Charbonnet is going to going to show why we picked him in the second round. <laughs> so uh, at the very least, I'd love to see is that I think Ken Walker might get a little more play than that. I don't know the extent of his injury, but even if he gets his 10 to 12 carries, I'm very hopeful that the Seahawks will find themselves in the red zone often. And this is what I'm really banking on is that Charbonnet will definitely be that guy who that gets, guy. Yeah. who gets much like Jamal Williams last year for the, Detroit Lions. Yeah, he gets blessed that, with those. He'll he'll get short those yardage. Yeah, downs he'll and, get those red zone carries. He might only have ten carries in the game, but the majority of them will come within the ten yard line. Yeah, and think. you'll have chances to plunge in touchdowns. So, uh, I think that's a great great pick for MVP. But what what do you think in score wise? Um, I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go with. Uh, let's go twenty seven seventeen Seahawks. That's really close to what I was gonna say. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. well, we'll get we'll get on the score more, and maybe we can mm-hmm. chop up our predictions on how the game will play out. But I'll give you I'll give you my MVP or click uh, pick to click, yeah. if you will. Is that uh, I'm gonna go with Julian Love. Okay. I think I think, yeah. I think that's I think he's a guy, and it, it'll start week one. But I really feel like that this is a over. I mean, your pick, too, I think would fall in the same category, a real overarching pick, that I feel like Julian Love is really going to be one of those guys that we're going to look back on this offseason and be like, great draft, a lot of great moves. Maybe Best the biggest move yeah. was picking up Julian Love. Yeah, versatile versatile DB, played corner safety, nickel, going to be in plays. Yeah, and yeah. I just, like, I know we got Quandre Diggs, like, early in the season when we when we got him we didn't acquire him as a free agent we traded for him but i honestly feel like there can be some similarities there that is just that type of guy that instantly changes the look of your defense and yeah he'll make plays at all levels yeah he'll he'll get up and make tackles at the line of scrimmage or behind the line he will make good closing plays in the midfield and then he can also play over the top and be a good cover guy and I really feel like he overall is going to be an unsung hero of this team and I think that campaign will start week one against the Rams you'll see him making plays at all levels so 
that's my uh, pick to click. As far as the score goes, it's funny you said 27 because I really feel like Seahawks will score 27. That's my number two. Maybe maybe 27-20. Okay. And yeah, I, I was I was thinking about going 24-17 and going one score, but I think uh, Seahawks might finally uh, push ahead. But it's the Rams, and that's what I was despite say. the fact that they don't look very good on paper, everyone's healthy right now except for I guess Cooper, Cooper Cup, Cup is questionable at the moment. It, that'll be a a big uh, a big difference maker there if if Cup's there, but I, I feel like if Cup's there. Especially week because it's week one might be singing a different tune if this is week sixteen right now and and everyone's dinged up and the Rams have gone on to do what I think they're gonna do but I think for week one they're gonna they're gonna bring it <laughs> so as I say you could never count out when the Seahawks and Rams plays like I said I almost want to change my score prediction to like twenty seven twenty three something like that or twenty seven twenty four yeah. that it's like it's always a close game with them it yeah. doesn't really matter what the roster talent looks like on either team, yeah. which if Cooper cup plays, I don't think this Rams team is as bad as a lot of people think thinks it is. I think yeah. they're, I think they're thin. Yeah. But not, their offensive not line bad. probably isn't very good. And their defense is way thinner than it used to be, but they know how to show up and play. And if Stafford's playing and they got cam Akers, I know, I know Tanner's relying on <laughs> cam Akers to be an impact, but you got Stafford, you got Cam Akers, you got Cooper Cup, like you got Higby. Yeah. Like that guy always has a good game against the Seahawks. Like yeah. I'm not I'm not gonna sit here. I'm not I don't have the same confidence I do when the Huskies go and play that it's like Yeah. The Rams it's still could, the NFL. Yeah, yeah. Rams can go out there and really push yeah. our shit in and yeah. I expect the Seahawks to be a much better team and I hope that they come out and set the tone, but I feel like it's just going to be a back and forth game. Yeah, the That's, entire time. I, I the say Seahawks 20, will yeah, take over. I in say twenty-seven seventeen, but I also like I envision that twenty-seven seventeen looking more like it's a twenty to seventeen, and the Seahawks push punch ahead, in a, punch punch in a, in a touchdown. touchdown with three minutes left. It, like you run that four minute O to an effective an effective tune, and then Charbonnet dumps in his second tutty of the day. And uh, it's my prediction on the 58 with two tutties right there. And and you win the game. But I'm, I'm looking at it right now. The the uh, line for that game is Seahawks by five with a 46-point over-under. So Vegas probably seeing it 26-20 Seahawks, yeah, right? That's like, about <laughs> – you know, like, I, I didn't know so, that. Yeah. I didn't know that. But, yeah, that's about yeah. right where <laughs> you know, I'm putting it there. at is, yeah, 27-20. Yeah, 20, yeah, 21-25, you know, like yeah, right in that, right in that ballpark, and I, I mean, I think that's right on the, right on the money for what I'd, I, mean, I, I think that's right there. So, um, yeah, go Hawks. Get excited for the season to kick off. It's, it's, uh, we, we were talking about doing a lot, you know, doing a Seahawks segment here, but I feel, feel like we've said it all, and now it's time for them to, to go do it. I got, I got one last one last question because this is our yeah. last chance to get something on the record before the season starts. Let's hear it. Do we think that by the end of this year that we will be saying, Geno Smith, that's our guy, or Geno Smith, it's time to find somebody to be the – new quarterback of what 
I, I'm going to take some liberties here too. Is a, what we feel like is a very complete team, top to bottom, outside of the quarterback position. Do we feel like it's time to find that quarterback, whether it's through the draft or for through a free free agency acquisition? Do you think by the end of this season we'll be saying, Gino, Gino, he's our guy, or I th- I think that- Gino, time to go. I think that I don't think it's necessarily going to be Gino time to go. I think it's going to be a lot of very similar to what it was this past off season that there's, there's a good crop of naysayers and a good crop of, of uh, Gino lovers. And, and it'll be kind of, kind of 50, 50, a little bit there that I think Gino, I mean, he kind of falls right in that Kirk cousins type of space, I think for the Seahawks, but for a team that's built like the Seahawks, you don't necessarily need someone outside of that capability range to be good and run the offense effectively. Like you're building this team off of defense and and a, a hopefully a decent offensive strategy that's not asking too much of Geno. And so I think that I think that you can you can be successful while still being underwhelmed with Geno as like with superstar abilities, uh, but he's going to, I don't think we're going to like go break the bank for a quarterback next year necessarily. And I well, I'm not suggesting that they break the bank for a quarterback. It could be via the draft too. I, yeah, I think that, uh, I think that they like Locke <laughs> since they brought him back. I wouldn't be surprised. I mean, we said this this year. I wouldn't be surprised if the Seahawks took a, quarterback in the first round or first three rounds of the draft next year. I also wouldn't be surprised if they didn't, <laughs> you know, cause you paid Gino for three years. So, yeah, but he really only has, I feel like when we looked at this before is yeah, the, he only has money in the first year. He really only has two. big money in the first year. And I think he's got decent money in the second year. Yeah. And then he basically has no guaranteed money year three. Yeah. Which is, I mean, but I, yeah, I guess that's why I think he'll be, if I had to bet, I think he'll be back next year. If I had to bet, I think that they'll draft someone in the first three rounds next year also. Okay. So You went a long way of giving a non-answer to finally give an yeah, answer. Yeah. I, I I would tend to agree because uh, I would say is that you, you went a long way of saying in my mind is that if I don't we, I don't believe in Gino. How about that? That's if that's what that's what that's you, a more. Yeah, that's what you were wanting to get to. I don't think Geno's elite. I think he is sufficient enough to run the offense that you have, and your team is built off defense and and running this run first with a lot of talented passing options. So you're it's it's not necessarily going to be run first all the time, but like I think that's the mindset that the Seahawks want to have. So, but do do I love Geno? No, I've I've never liked Gino. That goes back to his college days, and I still don't like Gino as a player overall. I don't think he's elite. The Seahawks will make the playoffs. Will win ten games, let's say ten or eleven. It, I think would be a probably pretty good number for them. But if you want to be, if you want to be, a, and they might even make it to the Super Bowl depending on how good their defense is well that's where i would counter <laughs> yeah i said i said might because yeah. and that's only because the nfc is weak right now you basically have to beat the the eagles and 
I think that that's a t- probably a tough ask, and I'm sure there's going to be another team that that rises to the top in there too, but maybe the Niners. You know, there's there's a couple other options there, but I think if your defense plays phenomenal and your offensive playmakers play phenomenal, then and basically one of your both of your running backs end up being everything that we've kind of said and hope that they're going to be, then you could be a Super Bowl team. You could make it there. But I don't think that's due to Geno. Well, it's due to, it's so, due to the other factors. So, you, so you've so you gone a, a real long way of tr- try, basically dissecting exactly what my question is, which is, is that in my mind, this team has built up to a point where you have a young, promising defense that I personally think will be top tier this year. And if they're not top tier this year, I still expect them to show signs that they will be next year. Yeah, I think the same can be said for the offense. And we'll remove Geno from that equation. That just like your offensive line is young and talented. You've added to the running back room, clearly. You added to the wide receiver room. That will Geno be our guy next year? With all of that in mind, because I do think that there's legitimate question is that what is the measuring stick? Because if you go to the Super Bowl, I find it really hard that that you would go and then draft a quarterback early to replace Geno, if that's the case. But I do think that there's a case for is that if you A, make the playoffs, B, win a playoff game, or C, like truly advance in the playoffs in general... Then why aren't you, why aren't you getting further? Is it Geno or is it some other aspect of your team? You kind of spelled it all out, and I would tend to agree. Is that I think by the end of this year, that's a nay on yeah. on on yeah, Geno. I, I will agree on Geno. I still think they'll be a good team, and I expect them to make the playoffs. And I still think that they could be a Super Bowl contender if it all comes together. I don't know that Geno is that caliber much. I think Kirk Cousins was a good, a good name that you floated out there. Is that the Vikings had Vikings went went thirteen and four last year in the regular season, so they were clearly a top tier team. You know, they won a lot of close games. They had a lot of stuff that I'm sure if you really nitpick it, you could be yeah. like, well, they could have easily been. 10 but that's every seven. NFL team. But that's every NFL team. Like you play the games, and if you win yeah. them, then you were the better team that day. Like yeah. you can nitpick everything, but I'd say if the Seahawks find themselves in that same situation, let's say the Seahawks go thirteen and four, and they lose in the first round of the playoffs, that's more what I feel like is on the horizon for the Seahawks. Or if they do poorly, it's probably because of Geno. I think we're in agreement that. Uh, I think the Seahawks are going to have to find a replacement quarterback by the end of this year. Maybe Geno will prove me wrong and he'll go out there and he'll throw 40 touchdowns and eight picks and have a MVP caliber type season, even if he doesn't win it. But I'm not going to hold my breath on that. Yeah, I think I guess here's how I'll put a bow on that is that I think the Seahawks could win eight or nine games with Drew Locke at quarterback with all things, all other things the same. And probably ten or eleven games with Geno at quarterback. If you want to be so, with that in mind, then does that mean that he is your quarterback of at least the near future? Because I do think that, like, 
if that's how you feel, like there is value there that Gino is basically a three war type player. Is <laughs> yeah. it like if we call Drew Locke an average, a very average, average quarterback, and the Seahawks team is good enough that basically if you can put anybody in there, they would go eight, nine, nine, and eight. But Gino gets you to. 11 wins and that's either two or th- three wins above replacement does that mean that he is a good enough quarterback that you feel confident that next year he will be good enough to care assuming the rest of the team gets better that he'll be good enough to carry this team forward uh, I, I guess my ultimate answer to that is no because yeah. i <laughs> and, agreed <laughs> yeah I, I don't i don't know that gino is the guy that's going to take us to the promised land that that being said, as I already stated, I still think he could. Like I think there's a there's a chance of that, especially because we're in the NFC, and there's just not a lot of great quarterbacks and not a lot of great teams at this particular moment. So if your defense is good, your offense is efficient enough, that can get you there. Yeah. And if he has his best game in the Super Bowl, you might even win it. And if that happens, no, they're probably not going to go draft quarterback in the first round. That's a giant if, I think, at this point that you get to that that level. And and so, I, yeah, I don't know that he's the he's the the future. He's not the franchise guy. They gave him a nice little contract now, and they basically paid him for last year and paid him for this year. And that was kind of the Seahawks to do. Don't think they needed to do it. Think he could have gone other routes, but. Here you are. You got a guy who can get you to the playoffs. He's already proven it. So go do it again. Maybe with the pieces you've added, you added another win or two in there throughout the entirety of the team. Go do it and see what happens. Yeah. So show of record, Geno haters, there'll be somebody else starting for the Seahawks next year. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Book it. Yeah. Uh, I don't know if, if that's the case, but. Yeah, I, th- I think we're in agreement that uh, Seahawks will be a good team this year, but I do think that uh, by the end of the year, I think the uh, revisiting the quarterback position will be the team's... I think lo- it'll be the hot topic. It'll be the that. largest need for the team. I think they're yeah. solid at all other positions. But, you know, Geno's got 17-plus opportunities to... Uh, prove us wrong. Prove us wrong, you know. we He ain't right back. He ain't right back. So, uh, on that note... Uh, go Hawks, go Dogs, go Mariners. Yeah, go Nurse. And uh, hopefully we'll be back next week with uh, with the Seahawks being 1-0. Signing off for Bring Your Lunch Pail podcast. Unhinged. Unhinged. See ya. See ya.